Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane. This is episode 44. Well, you may or may not have been aware, but earlier in the month, the CES trade show, which always happens in January, occurred again, primarily in a virtual format. And I hadn't had a chance to debrief anybody who went, in air quotes, to CES. And I wanted to do that for the parallel audience with a little bit of a focus on accessibility. And I'm really excited to have as my guest today, Tom Merritt, host of the Daily Tech News Show. Hi, Tom. How are you? I am good. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you, Shelley. It's really great to talk to you. It's really it's been a while, and I, I know you've been busy with uh, DTNS generally and with with CES coverage. So I'm really glad to have you here to sort of break all break it all down for us. Well, yeah, CES was easier on my feet this year, exactly. uh, being virtual, uh, but still still really, bu- really busy. Still a lot of news came out of it. So tell me how you normally would approach a CES. Do you just go full bore, go to Vegas for as long as you can stand it? And do you, are you reporting, are you covering the show live and doing shows or what, what do you, how do you do it normally? I've, I've done it multiple ways. Uh, back in the days when I worked for Tech TV or CNET, uh, it was what you just said, you know, full bore uh, Saturday through Saturday. By the end, I thought I lived there. Uh, and uh, uh, and that can really be exhausting. Uh, I've also done it before, even when it was in person, where I, I didn't go and just covered it uh, from home and kind of just read all the stuff and watched all the, the press conferences. Uh, but in the past several years, what we've done is we go Sunday through Wednesday. So that gets us press day, CES unveiled, some of the evening press conferences like Digital Experience or Showstoppers, uh, gets us to be on the floor so we can get some of the other folks that show up there that we you know, might not be able to have on the show otherwise. Uh, and we do our broadcasts, our, our live streams from the show floor. So this was going back to a few years ago when when I didn't go and saying, all right, it's it's back to, to covering it by by reading and watching rather than being there. The thing about CES that's always interested me, and I think it's probably good for people like yourself that are covering it in depth, is that it has this ramp up. There's press day, and then there are various uh, experiences, as as you call them, and and demos and product announcements that happen before the show floor actually gets started. So you can do a lot with CES before you even have to go out into the convention center to look at booths, right? Yeah, uh, it's usually a four-day conference, and uh, we generally wrap up our coverage on day two <laughs> because there's been so much stuff. Not that we stop covering it, but like that's when we head back out because, like you say, you know, almost all the press announcements happen before the show officially opens, uh, and and then it's a matter of you know saying, okay, what else is out there? And it's vast, so there's always something else that's interesting. And then there's 2021. Yeah. Well, 2021 was weird, too, because they they uh, delayed it a week uh, because it was virtual. So there was even more ramp up. Uh, there were CES announcements coming for a full week before. Usually it's it's happening you know, closer to New Year's. And uh, this year we had more stuff coming ahead of time, but we still had the crush of announcements on Monday, uh, which is the press day. Uh, still a ton of stuff happening on day one uh, on Tuesday. And and honestly, the, the pace of announcements seemed to be normal. It, it seemed to be what we would usually see. The flavor of the announcements, the type of things announced change, but the, you know that changes every year. And do you either in person or this year focus at all on the keynotes or the other sort of non-product specific announce kinds of events that they have? 
Yeah, with with Daily Tech News Show, what we're trying to do every day throughout the year is tell you these are the things that A, everybody's talking about, uh, B, may or may not be talking about but are important to understand, or, or C, we think are important to understanding things in the future. So it's a little mix of like, we may or may not even be interested in it, but it's big to like, I don't know if, if everybody should be paying attention to this, but we are. CES kind of clogs up that system because there's just so much. Uh, so we will focus a little more on, okay, LG had a press conference. Intel had a press conference. This is what they announced this is the product, this is what it is, uh, and and just kind of try to give you a rundown of these were the biggest things announced. The keynote speeches where you have like Hans Vestager from, from Verizon uh, show up and, and talk, uh, if they make news, if they say something really surprising or make an announcement or a product announcement, uh, particularly we'll cover them. But a lot of times they won't even make it in the show because it's a lot of expected stuff. So you were getting announcements a week ahead of time, which I assume showed up in the form of emails or you're getting links and you're looking at stuff on the web. It's not virtual experiences like the sort of things that were happening during the show. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, and honestly, even when we're at the show, a, a lot of our coverage is that anyway. It's it's seeing uh, what somebody wrote up, uh, watching a video of a press conference because we can't even get over uh, to an actual press conference in time and get back. And you can see better when you're watching it right. uh, uh, on, on, on video. We didn't do the virtual uh, you know, the VR, you know, walkthroughs or any, anything like that this year, because that's always just bonus stuff for us anyway. The, those evening press conferences I mentioned earlier, that's where we might get a chance to actually say, okay, we we talked about this earlier today from, from what other folks were saying. Let's get our hands on it. And that just informs our opinions the next day and as we go along and when we give more of a top-down view. And so we, we lost that this year, but but otherwise we, we were able to access the same amount of information that we normally would. Did you do any of the virtual experiences and how did you decide which ones if you did? No, uh, I didn't end up doing any of them uh, just just because of scheduling. Uh, it, it, was, it was something that we didn't prioritize. And it's CES, of course, is enormous, and and a lot of the critique of the event is that it's it's gotten too big and too diverse and diffuse. But I assume that it's easier for you to prioritize if you can look at it on your screen and you can say, "Here's a list of fifty things. This is the thing that, from the description at the top, looks the most interesting for me to dig into." Yeah, uh, and and that's why I didn't even go for a few years because I realized I could do the the job of Daily Tech News Show anyway. I could do the same way from home as I would being there. Being there gives me access to people, uh, you know, so I could have them come and be on the show where it might be harder for them to be on the show from CES over the internet if they could just come to our booth because they're there. Uh, that that's kind of one of the big things, and then being able to tell a few more personal stories in the course of the show because you've actually seen something or talked to people, you know, running into people. Allison Sheridan does a great job running around, talking to people, uh, doing the hands-on reviews. Uh, And so we always have her on during CES week uh, because she can tell us some of those things that she had her hands on. But even if she's not on the show, just running into people like her and saying, well, what are you finding that's important? Uh, That's something we missed out on this year. Well, and what she does and people who focus on the show floor do 
is that they engage in their own kind of serendipity because I doubt mm-hmm. that she is saying, well, I'm going to go to this booth and then this booth. It's about what catches your eye and what piques your interest based on your, your you know, your previous predilections, I guess. But to some extent, like what you have to do is get that top line thing. Like I'm about to ask you, what were the trends? What were the big things you saw at CES? And I, I suspect that's something that you, in any case, whether you're whether it's CES virtual or CES in real life, you feel like you have to kind of try and understand, even though there's so much information out there. Yeah, the, you know the the joke uh, when we're at CES is we do most of CES from our hotel room or the, or the little uh, booth that they give us <laughs> to, right. to do our live stream from, uh, and and actually being at the show is the gravy on on top of the mashed potatoes. Well, let's talk about some of the trends of CES. I guess so just just sort of big picture, what what was happening that people need to pay attention to. Yeah, it it always feels like CES is the same thing as last year, uh, but it changes slowly. So if you, you compare to five years ago, you're going to find out it's entirely different. So when I say televisions, uh, I don't think that's going to surprise people. Wait, but there were TVs at CES? Amazing, Stop the right? I know, shocker. Uh, but uh, TVs, as always, uh, were big. And, and, and the TV trends this year were a lot about advances in OLED, micro LED, uh, size, uh, you know, being able, usually CES is about bigger TVs and there were bigger TVs, but also smaller TVs. Uh, that was an interesting trend of like, oh, we're going to take these OLEDs and put them out in a 42 inch uh, form factor so that they are more affordable for people or uh, available with a really nice screen for somebody who just doesn't have a lot of room uh, in their apartment. Uh, that that was the TV-related trend. There was also uh, chips, robots, and foldables. All right, let's talk about robots. I always enjoy a good robot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, robots. Robots have been sort of the the fun trend at CES. There's not really one aspect of them that that catches everything. A lot of the robots this year were related to health uh, trends. Uh, given COVID nineteen and everything, there was sterilization robots, uh, assistive robots for the home. Uh, the the big one was the robot that could uh, have just fine enough control to be able to pour you a glass of wine. Uh, and that was their big demo is that it was able to, you know, pour you a glass of wine without breaking the bottle or the glass. That's nice. So because because milk comes in cartons and it's not as big of a, a demo as if you pour glasses of wine. But I, I yeah, guess if yeah, you were going to hire. As much as hire... BTS has made milk more popular uh, with their dynamite song. It's just, yeah, it was still wine. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess if. Wow. A BTS reference. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> BTS, I should say. Uh so foldables, I, I, we were talking a little bit before the show and I was saying I'm fascinated by the idea of foldables, partly because just the technological lift that seems like it, it has to be. Uh, so, so are foldables vaporware? Are we going to see foldables? And who do you, who's leading the, the pack when it comes to those? Yeah, I, I think for me, the the flexible screen trend was probably one of the more interesting ones because you, you always forget that CES isn't just about consumers, although it is, it's for marketing to consumers to say, here's our cool stuff. It's also about retail. Uh, it's also about the industry. So it's about getting stores to stock stuff. And, and it's about getting partners to make stuff using your product, using your supplies. So last year, or actually maybe more like two years ago, the foldable trend was we're a supply company that can do a foldable screen. Uh, Royal was the one showing an actual foldable 
tablet. And it was less about you're going to buy a Royal machine, although you could. It was about Royal saying, we want to work with partners uh, to let them take advantage of the technology we had. LG Display was the same thing. We've got a foldable screen. Well, in the intervening couple of years, you saw Samsung come out with a very expensive foldable tablet and a foldable phone. You've seen Motorola uh, do a foldable, and you've even seen LG do a foldable this year, that moved to the electronics companies. So you saw Huawei with a foldable product. You saw LG Electronics, not LG Display, uh, showing off the rollable screens. And that was something that LG Display had showed off last year. This year, LG Electronics is promising they're going to come out with a rollable phone. And while the, while the foldable is an interesting form factor and it's finally coming into its own, I think we're going to see more affordable versions of it. Uh, the rollables are a lot more intriguing uh, because they allow you to take a small form factor and make it a big form factor without having to have a hinge. Uh, there's there's a roll like, you know, like you'd roll up a, a paper towel. Uh, there's a roll of the screen inside the device. And what LG was showing off was was a phone that you can just kind of pull out like a scroll and turn into a tablet. Yeah, I remember seeing a picture of that and much more so than about the foldables, which I sort of snickered at because I'm sure eventually we will have foldable phones and it's it's like everything old is new again. It's like, oh, it's a candy bar phone, but now it's yeah. it's got you know. That's that, that's what you see, like right Motorola's got a flip phone. Right, it's, it's like, a flip phone. Well, okay, but but, but rollable, like you see that it. and it's you know, you see somebody holding in their two hands a screen that is, you know, drooping down because it's you, you can fold it and you can roll it rather. And that's just from a demo point of view. However, whenever it's going to be real, it's just exciting to look at. I don't even know like how I would necessarily use it, but I want one. It, it has want factor, right? You just look at that. <laughs> right, oh, that's right. great. That's something that I want to have. So Yeah. I, and that's always the problem with technology like this is you get the wow factor of seeing it happen and you've never seen it happen, but rather quickly that goes away. And, and what you're talking about with foldables is, is definitely happened to foldables, which at first people are like, that's kind of amazing that they, they made a screen that, you know, can stay on and, and function uh, even when you fold it up. And now people are like, yeah, but what do I want it for? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like you said, it's a form factor, but it's not really a new form factor. It's just a niftier version of the form factor. Whereas rollable, we've never had that, really. Right. I mean, I guess we've had a few phones back in the day where you could slide the screen out, but it didn't extend the screen the way no, the rollable just, does. Yeah, I mean, so so your main benefit was portability because you could, you could you know, close it in on itself. Yeah, like and, a sidekick or something. Yeah, I mean, and what it reminds me of is various demos I've seen of, like, foldable keyboards. So you have this, like, silicon thing, mm. and they're terrible to type on, but they look great. And so hopefully a foldable, a rollable phone will be more practical once it's it seems like it's not an issue for the user it's much more an issue for the technology because if they can make something that will work i can't see why users would reject it except for cost reasons you know what i mean it's it's not it it, it doesn't seem like it's a hard sell if you can get it to work right yeah it it it's not making it thicker the way that a, that a foldable yeah. does because when you fold up the the galaxy fold into you know the the small form factor it's now really chunky the rollable i mean it does make it a little thicker because you have to have the roll but it doesn't double when you 
put it away. It stays the same thickness throughout. And I think I think that is an advantage to that. And it just feels magical to see yes. your phone. You just pull on the sides and suddenly it's it's twice as long. And I'm imagining new ways of carrying one's phone or cases or just, you know, I, there's going to be some sort of zeitgeist moment where, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm thinking about when people put the first iPod shuffles around their neck and for like a half yeah, a yeah. second, that was a <laughs> thing. So... CES has long had the reputation of showing products that never come to fruition or that are vaporware for a long time. Do you think that that's less true these days, or is it still a big problem? You know, it it's been less true over the years. We've we've seen more products shipping over the last three or four years, uh, but there are still a lot of of products that are the wow factor, uh, like the LG rollable television. That was the first rollable screen we had a couple of years ago. It's technically shipping now for something like eighty thousand uh, dollars. It took a couple of years. That, that's your classic uh, CES product, where you're like, well, that's not really a product yet. Uh, but we're seeing a lot more practical announcements, and 2021 CES was full of practical announcements, a lot of chip announcements, AMD, Intel, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, really coming out and laying out their roadmaps. And I thought that was an interesting trend that I wasn't sure if it was because of the nature of CES being virtual, uh, that those sort of more esoteric, less visually interesting things rose to the top, or if that would have been a trend we would have seen anyway. Uh, but it, we really had a whole day uh, on, I think it was Tuesday of CES, where we were just going through all the chip announcements and how they compare to each other and where it puts the different chip companies in the races and what kind of machines are these now going to make possible now that you have more power efficient, faster chips. See, I told you everything was cyclical because I remember the days when covering computing in the 80s or the 90s was about Spark and about, yeah. you know, how many Intel processors can you put together to make a massively parallel computer? And for a long time now, especially in the consumer space, we haven't really talked about chips. Do you think that... and this is an Apple-centric question, I realize, because I spent a lot of my life in the <laughs> Apple universe. But do you think any of what these other companies are doing in terms of chips is a reaction to Apple's Apple Silicon and the M1 chips and, and just the, the extent to which Apple has said, not chips, we got it, we're going to do this, we're not going to buy stuff from other people anymore? I, I absolutely think it is, uh, in, in almost all the cases. Certainly Intel, AMD, and Qualcomm, right? Uh, and I think NVIDIA as well. Uh, are are reacting to what what I think took everyone off guard, which is how good the M1 chip from Apple has been. I think everybody expected it to be pretty good, um, but I don't think they expected it to be as power efficient, as powerful, uh, and and work as well as it did out of the gate. Because that's really hard to do, uh, and and so that has set a lot of these companies into saying, all right, we have. A mobile chip. We have a power efficient chip. And that was the bulk of the announcements from Intel and AMD were here's our laptop chips. Uh, they are power efficient. Yeah, they, they, they are powerful. They have eight cores and 16 threads and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and and so I, I absolutely think Apple has sort of called the attention of the, of the chip industry uh, and, and now set something that other chip companies are trying to compare themselves to because of just how well that M1 chip is performing. Well, the roadmap thing is interesting because Apple, of course, famously does not do roadmaps ever. Mm -hmm. And I 
guess I wonder if the other chip vendors are also signaling by giving a roadmap, hey, this is where we're going. We have a plan and we're going to tell you enough about it so that you can make decisions to use our products. Is that a competitive advantage for people? Maybe. Uh, most of the chip companies have done roadmaps forever. It's not it's not unusual, but it's certainly something they can lean into because it's not new. They know how to do it. They've been doing it for a long time and and they can say, here's what to expect. On the other hand, because they don't know what Apple's roadmap is uh, clearly without paying attention to leaks, which you know, they might have some good sources and have a good idea, Apple can still come out and, and disrupt their roadmap and say, hold on, uh, you know, uh, you thought uh, getting down to, to this level of efficiency or this many cores was going to be good, but look what we did. Uh, they may or may not, but that's, you know, that's the advantage of not having the roadmap is you're not beholden to it. Well, let's pivot a little bit to accessibility. And I guess I'm going to sort of throw you in the deep end here and without prompting you about accessibility things that I noticed at CES, I'm curious the extent to which you think accessibility was bubbling up. And did, did you notice anything accessibility related in CES this year? Yeah, the, the, I always keep an eye out for it. Uh, and and we definitely had uh, several products uh, in the accessibility realm bubble to the top. Uh, of, but I don't know that it was any more than usual. And if there were more than usual, it was probably in the health area. Uh, and, and I think that's a result of, of being more COVID-19 aware and companies really wanting to push that sort of thing. Uh, but there, it seemed like it was about the same percentage, which is, you know, around 5-10%. And again, that's the sort of thing that's hard to surface unless you're really looking for it. A few things I noticed, um, there are a couple of vendors who, a couple of accessibility-specific companies that are really smart because they go to CES when a lot of the others do not, and so they get a lot of ink. So APH mm. is always there, and they aren't necessarily announcing products, but they're showing off Braille displays that to the people who are not focusing on accessibility look new and amazing because they've never seen them before. And there's a company called OrCam that makes a, uh, a, cam, a, a wearable that has a camera in it that will uh, identify objects and text and people for, for folks with blindness. And it's super fancy and super expensive. Uh, and, and they show up at CES. And people who have never seen them before are, oh, this is amazeballs. So there's, there's some of mm -hmm. that. But as you say, it, it does seem like there's a lot of uh, health-related and specifically COVID-related things. The other thing that I'm aware of, and this is a follow-on from some announcements that, that Apple, some things that Apple included in iOS 14, there seems to be a lot of AI focus in accessibility. So you have hearing-related products that are analyzing the environment and trying to reduce extraneous noise or interpret the environment for people with hearing loss. And uh, uh, Oticon, which is a big hearing aid maker, had an announcement of that uh, of that sort of technology in their devices. So, so that was one of the more interesting aspects of it. Yeah, I, I was aware of a, of a few different AI-related things. Uh, I, I don't remember if it was actually part of CES or just alongside CES, but there was uh, some advancements in Microsoft's uh, product that does the the descriptive navigation. Seeing AI, like that. yeah, that's, seeing AI. Yeah. I'm see, and the the the, guy, the developer who created that product is probably going to be on the show uh, pretty soon. What what they've done with seeing AI, which has been around for a couple of years, is they've taken advantage of the lidar sensor in the iPhone 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max. So they're combining 
the existing you know AI software that they had, and they're saying, oh, look, well, there's this hardware feature. Apple added their own people detection feature, but seeing AI went a little bit further. And so it's good to know that that was, I don't know if that was that they were at CES or not, but I know it came out around the same time. Yeah, so. yeah. It, 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 it definitely was in the wash of announcements <laughs> right, during right. that time. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed, and, and obviously I was looking for it, was that there uh, th- there was actually a uh, an Engadget podcast with the heads of head of accessibility for Microsoft, Jenny Lay Fleury, and the accessibility manager uh, at for Android at Google, where they just sat together and talked about accessibility stuff. And I don't believe there were announcements, but I, I wonder if if you're aware of these big companies making more attempts to you know, talk out in public about accessibility. Is that something that bubbles to your consciousness? Are you aware of these things going on? Yeah, for a couple of years, uh, I've noticed uh, in product announcements, Apple, Microsoft, Google will take time to acknowledge accessibility uh, in a way that they never did before. Uh, in, in the past, they would do the thing where they would have an accessibility feature that was introduced as as something that everyone could benefit from, and that was the only way it made it in uh, to a, a keynote. Uh, and so that has become more frequent, and I've, I definitely have seen that kind of widen out into coverage. So uh, you you were mentioning to me, and I noticed this as well, that, that CNET had an accessibility section in its coverage. Yeah, which was was pretty impressive, and they and it was a fairly straightforward laundry list, frankly, which I used for sure. research, but it was not laid, it was not larded up with a lot of the sort of language of here's an accessibility feature that even the rest of us can enjoy, or here's a secret mm-hmm. feature. There's all sorts of really ableist nomenclature that gets put in these articles, and so I was happy for CNET to just produce a nice, boring, here's a product, here's what it does, here's what it costs, and here's when you yeah, can yeah. get it. <laughs> so that that feels like progress to me. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think it is. I think there's there is, I I you know I don't want to oversell it, but there's a growing awareness of of accessibility uh, issues and and technology, and and that there's a segment of the of everybody's audience that that just wants to know what's out there and what's available and what the developments are. So some things I read, and I I know even some uh, corporate speak on this, attempts to conflate or connect accessibility enhancements with social responsibility. And I learned this morning, I did not know this, but there is a corporate abbreviation, CSR, corporate social responsibility. And that makes me Ah. sad that it's already been uh, consigned to business speak. But I I wonder if you noticed, uh, I guess it would probably mostly be the big companies like your Googles and your your Microsofts. Did you notice conversation about corporate social responsibility at CNET at all? At CES at all? Was that a, a thing people were talking about? Uh, in 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 the wider sense, absolutely. Uh, there there were definitely uh, spins and takes out there uh, to say, you know, let's we we acknowledge uh, being an ally, Black Lives Matter, uh, et cetera. And I, I do see accessibility coverage sometimes housed in in those kinds of messages. There was an interesting article in the Economist I was reading recently that a lot of that has to do with the fact that they are targeting a wealthier audience that tends to be liberal uh, in their marketing and advertising messages. And so when when they when they make those sorts of announcements and when they do that sort of marketing, it's not necessarily meant 
to raise awareness, even if it has that effect, it's meant to make a certain segment feel good about spending money with that company. That makes sense, and I don't think we talk about that enough. And I think that's absolutely a part of what Apple does. Like their whole approach and the words that they use around social responsibility, it does seem to be, well, you've spent a lot of money on these Apple products. You should at least feel good about the company whose money mm-hmm. you're giving, you know, whose money you're Yeah, and you see that with environmental issues yes, as well. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. For sure. And I wonder if a conference like CES, it's it's not where accessibility-related announcements occur even in the mainstream. So I, I don't even know how fair it is to expect CES to be to have an accessibility focus, except to the extent that there's this, for example, there's a Samsung TV that has a couple of new accessibility features. And I don't know if that bubbled up to the top, but it's an interesting line to draw. Like what's a reasonable expectation for us to have of a general consumer show like CES, where, as you say, a good part of it is about companies buying the supplies and the materials that they're going to need to make their products. It's not even really consumer focused, despite the name of the show. Yeah, CES has an an accessibility section on its website. Uh, they have a team uh, that that works on accessibility, a really good team. I, I like those folks, uh, but they tend to end up having presentations like panels. Uh, you don't see them having the the big keynote addresses uh, at the level of other things. Right. And who goes to panels at CES? I don't know. <laughs> Especially in a virtual world, that seems like that would be a really hard sell. So I guess I guess the question is, and we don't know exactly what things are going to be like in 2022, but I, I wonder if you had your druthers, what would CES look like in 2022? Would it be back to the full-on live? Would it be virtual? Would it be a combination? Yeah, I, I was able to talk to somebody from the CTA about that, uh, and you know they they didn't really pin it down, other than to say they're really looking forward to being back in person, uh, and and so I, I I get the idea that they're going to take some of the things they learned this year, but uh, not really try to replicate this year, see this year as an anomaly, uh, and really try to focus on the in-person part of the event. Uh, that said, uh, in a more broader term of accessibility, I think, I think they have learned some things that will make it even easier to get to the content, even if you're not in Las Vegas. And I'm curious if they, they do some kind of satellite, uh, CES events, where they, you know, can bring people to say Singapore and say you don't have to travel all the way to Las Vegas. You can you can come here and access some of the networking effect of in person, uh, along with getting the content as we stream it virtually, etc. Uh, I I think what I would like in January of 2022 is uh, to be complaining about having to get on a plane uh, and uh, not having to wear a mask if I don't want to. Uh, And when I say that, I mean like not feeling like it would be dangerous for me to not wear a mask. Uh, I I, I think we'd all like that. Um, And I I sort of miss, I I won't even say sort of, I definitely missed seeing people, uh, being able to to run into folks and and talk to folks and and be there uh, as a 
hard it is as it is to travel and navigate. Uh, I, I missed that part of it. And that that's why I ended up going back after my own personal experiment with covering it virtually is is I missed being in the room uh, with people and, and walking around with with folks like Allison uh, and getting that serendipity. Well, Tom, we always end parallel with the one more thing question, which is a little whimsical take on what we've been talking about. And so my question for you is, of the things that you saw at CES, whether they be shipping products or potentially shipping product, we won't call them vaporware because that's rude. Uh, which which one would you most have liked to take home with you? You know, I, I've, I've, I've been agonizing over <laughs> this. Uh, you're not the first person to ask me that. Uh, and I keep wanting to say the rollable phone, which just seems too obvious uh, because you know there were there were there was a smart dog door that was three thousand dollars and, and <laughs> you know if I could just get that for free I'd, I'd want to play around with that but that rollable phone that we were talking about really captured my imagination if I could just you know when I'm laying in bed uh, make that screen big and watch some Netflix or uh, you know uh, uh, ha- you know just be able to use it as a second monitor uh, when I'm doing my show. Uh, I, I don't know. I, that, I feel like there's something there. And so I, that's the one that, that really pops to mind involuntarily when you ask that question. As tempted as I am to uh, say the robot that will pour wine for me, and that, you know that might be a more practical answer, but there there was this Samsung television. I don't know the model number, but it the accessibility feature that it has that I think is amazing is it analyzes your color acuity. It essentially gives you a, a color test, and then mm. it will change the interface to match. You and I'm I'm very colorblind, and and so it will change the interface to match the kinds of color and contrast that are easier for your eyes to see. So and and because it's a Samsung TV at CES, I'm just going to assume it's enormous. So I'll take one. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's great technology. I love that. Well, Tom Merritt, thanks so much for being on the show. Where can people find you on the internet? As if most people don't know. <laughs> well, those of you who don't, uh, I'm at TomMerritt.com. But uh, if you want that daily 30-minute rundown of of what we what we think is worth paying attention to in technology, uh, we have great folks in our audience uh, that, that help us understand it and put it in context, uh, go to DailyTechNewsShow.com. Awesome. It's a great show, which, as I confessed to Tom before the show, I don't always get to listen to, but when I do, <laughs> it makes me happy. You can find out more about this show at Parallel Pods on Twitter. You can follow me personally at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y, and uh, guest suggestions, thoughts about the show, always welcome. Also, Relay.fm slash Parallel if you don't happen to be subscribed. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with something amazing. Bye now.